Let's go ahead and go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11 tonight. And we are going to, um, as we go through this chapter, uh, we're going to address something that is very important um, to help you understand the one of the many false teachings in dispensationalism. I've been referencing how the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are, in fact, the same thing. In dispensational world, I used to think it was just the Ruckmanites, but I'm finding out there are even those who would not identify with Ruckmanites that are teaching the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are two different things. Now, I like to be nice to people, but it's very hard to be nice to anybody who says that because it's a great insult on uh, my intelligence for you to expect me to believe that. But then two, it shows an epic level of ignorance when it comes to what the kingdom of heaven is. To think that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are not the same thing is to not know what they are. And so we're going to see, uh, I'm going to illustrate when we go through here, because I'm going to go to one of their key passages that they use. And hopefully uh, you will see clearly where they err big time. And we will see the truth. And they pit two passages against each other. Here it uses the term kingdom of heaven. In Romans, they pit a passage against it where it talks about the kingdom of God. And they'll use that to prove they're two different things. Once again, only proving they don't know what it is. And that's a big problem. Dispensationalism has done so much harm to independent fundamental Baptists. It's absolutely astounding some of the things that are being taught in Baptist churches in the name of dispensationalism. So I want you to be kind of keep your mind on these things because we're going to go through the whole chapter, but that's the key. The key to debunking anything dispensationalists teach is always knowing the entire passage that they will cherry pick a verse out of. And, it, and when you do, when you know the full context of a verse that they reference, they're not going to be able to get away with the way that they teach these things. So pay attention to the whole chapter, not just the part that they like to focus on. So verse 1 says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. And then, uh, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Art thou he that should come... Or do we look for another? Now, there's been a lot of speculation on this passage right here about John's question. You know, because, I mean, this is kind of a weird question. This is the guy who said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And now he's sending his disciples to ask Jesus, Hey, did we get the right guy? Are, are you him? Or are we looking for another? And so this does, this, this seems like, you know, John maybe is at a low point. I mean, he's in prison. But... Uh, let, let's just look at a couple facts. So first off, in chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus by John. Immediately after that, in chapter 4, we see Jesus go into the wilderness for 40 days. And then in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. So it would appear that very shortly after the baptism of Christ, which is not a coincidence, we see John being arrested. So keep that in mind. And then we don't see John referenced again until chapter 9 in verse 14. It says, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. And then he goes into those parables about the new bottles, not putting new wine into new, or old wine into new bottles, or vice versa, mixing that up. But basically, Jesus was just showing that, you know, you don't, uh, you don't want to do things that could potentially be harmful. That's not the purpose of these things. But the Pharisees, and the Jews, they, they made these things of God, like fasting, that were a good thing. They kind of made them burdens. They would even turned the Sabbath into a burden in many ways. Under the law, the law, and the reality is the law was a burden. We're going to see a scripture on that. It was a yoke. The law was a yoke that the people of Israel were not able to bear. They couldn't do it. Now, sadly, a lot of them thought that they were, but they couldn't do it. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling, they're doing so much work. And then John's disciples ask him, why aren't they fasting? Like, you know, you don't ask people to fast when they're doing that much work. 
That's, that's just not practical. This is not the time for fasting. So, that's the last time we see John mentioned. And then now we see him mentioned here again when he's sending his disciples. And so, in reality, this is a reminder that there was many things that had not yet been revealed at this time. And it's important, always understand this when studying the Bible, that truth has never changed throughout time. But, certain truths have not always been known or not always been revealed. And, and so, Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay? Now, understand, certain things have always been sins, but God didn't always hold people accountable like He does today because the law hadn't been given yet. And once the law has been given, now it's another story. It's kind of like when your kids do something wrong, something they shouldn't do, but maybe it was done in innocence, and then you correct them and you tell them, hey, don't do that again. Now if they go do that exact same sin again, there's greater consequences. You know why? Because the law has been given. And now they violated that law. It was never right for them to do that thing. But a lot of times you'll give them a chance. You know, if they do something that you believe is is kind of done in innocence. I, you know, and so, um, that's, so that's what's going on during this time. So someone not fully understanding or recognizing a certain truth during a time before the full manifestation does not say the same thing as it does about them today. It would be much different if I were to come along and say, you know what? I sometimes wonder if Jesus was the Christ. Uh, no, I have. If I say that, we've got a much bigger problem than when John the Baptist said it. So keep that, keep that in mind. And so I think some, there's something we need to understand about John too is John, I believe, was a, a representation of the law. I think that's one of the things that we see in the Bible. And think about this. The law is good. The law is true. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. But the law, while it's good and it is righteous and it is of God, it also condemns, doesn't it? And think about this. When we see Jesus come on the scene in Matthew, Jesus represents grace while John represents law. Jesus comes to John, the law, to be baptized by John, to fulfill all righteousness. But then we see that basically as soon as the ministry of Jesus Christ starts, the ministry of John is over. And one of the things, when, whenever Jesus Christ came on the scene and he did the work of salvation on Calvary, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. Grace now is, is in full force. And that's an exciting thing. And I think there's kind of a picture that we're seeing right there. And so when the Messiah showed up, things did not happen in the way that the Jews, or you could say the prophecy preachers in that day, thought it was going to happen. They're, they all had in their mind, a way they thought things were going to play out. And this is a good lesson for all of us too. That the prophecy preachers were wrong in the Old Testament as well. Yeah, or New Testament Christians. Listen, with the junk that we're hearing out of Baptist churches about prophecy, I wouldn't be surprised if we're all wrong when Jesus comes back too, to, to a certain extent. And so, they, I think everybody might have been a little confused, including John. I don't think John expected to be in prison after the Messiah showed up. You know, he was probably thinking, this is when things are going to get good. And things did get good, but in a spiritual way. Okay? And only in a spiritual way. So, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And so, while these things didn't happen in the way they thought they would, it was important that they have faith and trust Christ. And I believe John did that. And, you know, it's okay. It's okay for you to have questions and doubts sometimes. It's okay. You're going to feel that way sometimes. It's okay for you in your prayer to tell God how you're feeling about things. But at the end of the day, we should all have the wisdom that even though I'm not feeling it today, even though I've got some questions right now, 
you know what? I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to do what he says. Okay. And too many people are looking for a Christianity. They're looking for a salvation that they always feel. And you're just not always going to feel what you're supposed to feel and what you want to feel. Sometimes you do, but not all the time. And so thankfully, we don't have to understand everything about theology. We don't have to understand everything about prophecy to be saved, but we do have to have faith in Christ. We do have to just say, you know what? I don't get it all, but you know what? And, and, you know, for example, on salvation, the more I study the Bible, the more I understand and the more I believe what we believe about salvation, the more I understand why it is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The more I study theology, the more I understand why salvation is not about repenting of sins. The more I study about salvation, the more I understand why salvation is eternal. Now, I've always accepted these things. I've always been taught these things. I thankfully was taught salvation right, but my study of theology has increased my knowledge in that. But at the, at the same time, too, the more I have increased in knowledge about salvation, the more it has helped me understand why I was, in fact, saved as a five-year-old boy. And, but I didn't, I didn't have even close to the knowledge that I have today, you know, when I was five years old. But I was saved. You know, and, I, I, and I think I was probably better off getting saved without a ton of knowledge because then I could have been like some of these theologians today that have all these degrees and are so, super smart and they're too smart to get saved because they're not able to come to God as a child because they have too much pride. So again, uh, you do have to have faith. And I believe John had that. I, I don't think it was wrong for him to have this question during this time. But don't you ask that question. Don't you ask that question. Was well, Jesus' Messiah? I mean, I heard Sam Gipp saying he's not my Messiah. You know, I, no, 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 no. What, after what's been revealed to us, okay, you have no excuse to question who the Messiah is. So keep that in mind. But verse 7, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. And what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. Now, I want you to get this. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, think about what he just said there. This is the best born of women. Now, what did I tell you about John? He represents the law. I believe what Jesus is saying right here, what has been revealed to us now, that of those, if we're going to judge someone by the law, you won't find anyone better than John the Baptist. However, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know what that tells me? Those who have been sanctified by the blood of Christ outdo the best that there ever was according to the law. I think that's very clearly what Jesus is saying right there. That should bring comfort to all of us. This is great evidence for why it is not a works salvation. Because none of us would ever claim, I, I mean, the most arrogant Calvinist you've ever crossed paths with in your life wouldn't dare say, I'm better than John the Baptist. But you realize, if you're going to go according to the law, you've got to be better than him. But the least in the kingdom of heaven, and I know some pretty sorry people that are saved according to the law, but if they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, they have been cleansed, they have been sanctified, and they are, in, in, God, in the eyes of God, they are better than John the Baptist when judged according to the law. Okay? So that's clearly, I believe, what Jesus is saying right there. And I think that's pretty exciting right there. And so just like there was nothing wrong with the law, there wasn't anything wrong with John. John was as good as it gets under the law. But the reality is what grace and faith in the blood of Jesus does is greater than anything that the law can do. Our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. 
Well, we can't really do that. Well, we can if we get cleansed from all our iniquities. And if we can be purged of all, if something can undo all the wrong that we've done. And you know what? There's one thing that can undo it. The blood of Christ. That's it. That's what Jesus has been teaching. So now, verse 12, this is where the dispensationalists start to mess with people. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. So right there, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Now, turn over to Romans chapter 14 because this is where the dispensationalists will go to prove to you that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are two different things, but all they prove is that they don't know what either are. It says in Romans 14, 15, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You all see the difference right there? Kingdom of heaven, violence, the kingdom of God, peace. What are you going to do? What, what, what are you people going to do? You think the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing? Uh, I, I don't know how they miss this. I really don't know how they miss this, but they miss it. Okay. Now, before we reveal their epic error, we're going to go through the rest of the chapter too because I don't want anybody to assume that I'm just throwing something out there. Let's, let's make sure we see the whole chapter first and then we're going to go back and look at this and I'm going to show you exactly what is going on. It really isn't that complicated. So how do we reconcile this? Because the one thing dispensationalists do in order to teach this foolishness is they fail to address or explain exactly what Jesus is talking about. For example, who are the violent? And how are they taking the kingdom by force? They don't ever want to explain that. I, I, I need you to explain that to me. How does the kingdom of heaven suffer violence? How do, how do the violent take it by force? What does that even mean? That means something. They will not explain that to you. I, I will tell you exactly. I will tell you exactly what it means before this message is over. They don't even try to address it. Okay, and so let's read a little bit more, and then I think it'll be simple to see what is being said here. And so from John till then, he said, from the time of John until then, the day that they were in, the kingdom of heaven was suffering violence. So what was before John? Okay. Why, why did the violence start with the preaching of John? Okay. Again, they won't even, they won't even try to address this because again, they don't know what the kingdom of heaven is. So they just say violence in the kingdom of heaven, peace in the kingdom of God, two different things. No, uh, they're, they're the exact same thing. Okay. Something changed. Anybody want to guess what might have changed from the time of Matthew? Till Romans, can anybody think of a major event that took place? <laughs> yeah, the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, but again, they they don't know what the new covenant is either, because the same people who say the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two different things believe that the New Testament and the new covenant are two different things, and they only believe that because they don't know what either are, and otherwise they would never, ever, ever say something like that. But they they don't understand these things. So let's go ahead and read through this. And then we'll show their error. So verse 13, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. And he that hath ears to hear, let him hear it. And I want you to notice that verse, verse 14, If ye will hear it, this is Elias. Sometimes in prophetic things, we see options given. That we, we see things offered to Israel. That's why Jesus said, how often would I have gathered thee together? And I believe too that is this is a, a one more proof text of many for of what we can use too to show that things like the Olivet Discourse, while it was a prophecy directed at that generation, it was not all fulfilled in that generation. It was not fulfilled. It was certain aspects of it. The, uh, were offered during that time. But those things were not set in stone that they would all be fulfilled during that time because once again, Israel would not 
And so, Jesus didn't come in the clouds in 70 AD. The rapture didn't happen. In 70, the resurrection didn't happen in, in 70 AD. And so, uh, people, people miss that when it comes to prophecy sometimes. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but that's one more verse that proves that. So whenever he, so he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And whenever Jesus would make this statement, he was about to usually about to reveal a deep truth that many would often miss. Because you had to have faith too to get these things. To have ears to hear. Okay. When Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, were there some standing there that didn't have ears? Okay. Obviously, everybody had ears, but not everyone had ears to hear. In other words, to hear spiritual truth. Not everyone had faith. And so, if they didn't have faith, they did not have ears to hear audibly they could hear what jesus was saying but they were not able to internalize what he was saying they were not able to understand what he was saying because they didn't have faith therefore they didn't have ears in a spiritual sense and so verse 16 but whereunto shall i liken this generation it is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying we have piped unto you and ye have not danced we have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented for john came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he hath the devil. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. These people just didn't want to listen. Again, they just made out the prophets to be whatever they needed them to be. So if a guy doesn't eat, he must have a devil. If a guy does eat, he's a glutton. You know, that, but the reality is, the Jews, they just didn't listen to Jesus. They didn't listen to John. And you know what? They also didn't listen to the law and the prophets either. They didn't listen to anyone. So then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of them, his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And now Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, a lot of people will use this passage too, it's kind of a side note, to debunk the reprobate doctrine, which is completely foolish, because like, say this proves they all could have gotten saved. Um, well, here, here's the thing about that. At what point? Because again, at, at a certain point, judgment was pronounced and was going to happen. For example, God said originally, if I can find 50, and he went down to 10 righteous people there. So there was a time when it wasn't reprobate, and there clearly is a time when it was. And so it that doesn't work. It's just saying that if someone like Jesus would have been in Sodom, those people would have listened. But these people didn't. And, or at least two, there would have been enough righteous people there that the city would have been spared. The city, the city could have survived. And so that was a, a pretty strong testimony against Sodom too. And it's also a reminder too that they did have a great privilege and a blessing. Not every place, not every nation had prophets speak to them like they did. But yet at the same time, we see ones that did, that did repent. And he mentions uh, Nineveh. It, it was an example of that. And so it says in verse 25, And Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Listen, I'm glad I've learned a lot over the years about the Scriptures, but I'm really glad I got saved at a young age before I learned enough to get myself lifted up with pride. Because a lot of times the, the really smart people, they're the last ones to get saved. Even so, Father, for so, so it seemed good in thy sight. And I think I could guess why that is too, because God doesn't want us getting lifted up with pride. That's why he chose the way of salvation that he did. It's the only way. A salvation without works is the only salvation where he gets all the glory and where we can't boast. But all things are delivered unto me of my father and no man knoweth the son, but the father, neither knoweth any man, the father, save the son and he to whomsoever the son will reveal him. And so it's clear that what Jesus was preaching was something that one must receive with a childlike faith. In verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, 
For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, this is important that we kind of understand this, because one of the things we have to do to understand a lot of these terms, a lot of these things about the kingdom, is we have to understand the system that they were under when they were under the law. Okay? The Bible often refers to it. I'll be, I'll be mentioning uh, some of this on Sunday night's message. But the Jews were considered prisoners. They were considered captives. What were, was their, what were they held captive by? It was the law. Jesus came and he preached liberty to the captives. The law held them captive because the law kept them in condemnation because of the fact that they were all sinners. They were all guilty of the law. It's kind of like our tax code. It's like our tax code just won't let you get ahead. You know, no matter how hard you work, you know, it's just like the hard, you know, they just, they keep coming at you with something. But the law, it was like the law was just something that no one could handle. Now look what it says in Acts chapter 15 and verse 7. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the church is young and the church is, uh, you know, is, it's learning. God is revealing things. And right there early in the church, you had people, Judaizers coming along, trying to add the works of the law and to salvation when these Gentiles are getting saved. Because think about it. In the early church, in the, in the Pentecost church, the people that are all getting saved are all Jews. It's all people that are used to the law, that are all circumcised and doing all these things. All of a sudden now, we've got Gentiles being saved who are not doing certain works like the circumcision. And so you can understand while all the other people in the church are circumcised, they're thinking, well, these guys got to do it too. You know, and obviously the Gentiles are like, I don't want to do that. You know, and they, they got worried about it. But look what it says in John, Acts 15, 7. And when there had been much disputing... Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, <clears throat> bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should be saved even as they. Look at what Peter called the law. He said it's a yoke on the neck. Why would we put a yoke on the neck of our disciples that we were not able to, uh, we were not able to bear? We couldn't do it. And we believe that we are saved by grace. And that's exactly how they get saved by grace. And that is what, when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, you know what he is? He is referring to that burden. They were under the burden of the law that was a yoke that they couldn't handle. But Jesus said, come to me. My yoke is easy. And yet, at the same time, you have people critical of easy believism, an easy salvation. I mean, Jesus literally said it was easy. He literally said it was easy. What, and what was his solution? What was his solution to people who couldn't handle the yoke of the law? Come to me. Come to me. What is, what's, that, what, what's another way we could say that? Believe on Him. Trust in Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And He wanted these people who were weary and heavy laden. He, what, he said, you come to me and I'll give you rest. That sounds a lot like to him that worketh not, but believeth on Him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Boy, a lot of people, dispensationalists, they're the ones that teach Jesus and Paul preach two different gospels. This sounds exactly, exactly identical to what Paul preached. It's the exact, it's the exact same thing. And so, uh, keeping all that in mind, it's something we need to remember if we want to get real technical, is that the law is, in fact, still extremely relevant. We just need to remember that Jesus had to carry the weight of the law on our behalf. We don't get to heaven by keeping the law, but we get to heaven by Christ's keeping of the law. He had to fulfill all righteousness and He fulfilled all the righteousness that was of the law. So we, that's why we should preach the law. 
not as a way to get people practicing all of these things, but as a way to show people our need for a Savior and our dependence that we have to have on Christ. It's another way to show, too, that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Nobody else ever kept the law. In, John, in, John, in Romans 3.31, Paul said, Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. We, we establish it. We are recognizing the power that it has over us in our flesh. And so whenever we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are agreeing that the law is good and I am guilty. Now, if you want to call that repenting of sins, that's fine. If, because some people think, well, I, you know, I, you know that there was a time they were religious, but then they realized, hey, I might have been religious. I might have been a decent person as far as the world is concerned. But I have learned through studying the Bible, through studying the law, that you know what? I am unworthy. I am, in fact, a wicked sinner. And you know what? I, you know, I, and, and sometimes when people talk about repenting of sins, that's kind of what they're referring to. I changed my mind about my sin. I finally recognized my sinful condition. I finally recognized that all of my religious things that I had done were not enough to save me and I must depend on Christ. And that's what, some, that's what happened to some people when they repented because they were from religious backgrounds. Again, I wouldn't say it that way, but I, I've heard some people when they testify, that's exactly what happened with them and that's, that's what they mean by it. And so let's go back. So now understanding all this about the law, the law was that, that system that they were under that was. It was very difficult. It was very grievous for them as a people. It literally, while well, a lot of them didn't realize it, it had them in captivity. It had them in prison. They were bound to these things of the law. So now, let's go back to this passage. Let's go back to verse 11. And I want us to go through it again. And I'm going to, I want to show you exactly what this means when it talks about the kingdom of heaven suffering violence. Let's address all the aspects of it that the dispensationalists must ignore or just ignore out of necessity because of the fact they don't know what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is. So he says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John outdid all of us by the law, but the least in Christ outdoes John through Christ. Okay, so keep that in mind. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. The preaching of John caused a religious assault on the kingdom of heaven by the religious opposition who continued to use the Romans against John and eventually Jesus. It was the Romans that went and arrested John. It was the Romans that had John's head chopped off, but they did all these things by the Jews. The Jews were the ones that would get them in trouble. It was the Jews that used the Romans to put Jesus to death. And, and, and I'll show you, we'll look at the scripture that in, in a minute. So understand the Jews, they were in charge of the things of God. The oracles of God had been committed to them. The they were in charge of the things of the temple. The priests, the Levites, they were over the things of God. And you could say they were in charge of the kingdom of heaven during that time. And, but at the same time, we now have a, a struggle about to begin. They have been commanded. This is what people don't, this is what people forget. That while God did give these things to Israel, and we, you all are familiar with this here because I harp on this all the time. They were commanded by Israel, the man, to follow Shiloh when he comes. They were commanded by Moses when that, when that prophet, like Moses, comes to do whatever he says to do. You listen to all the words that God is going to put in his mouth. They were commanded. So when Jesus came along and he preached at his Sermon on the Mount, when John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elias and he announced to Israel, this is him. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This is the Messiah. This is that prophet. Understand, when those religious leaders started to work against John and Jesus, 
they were literally fighting against the kingdom of God. There's a power struggle now going on. The true rightful heir has come to take over. He has come to take charge. And now these people who are now illegitimate leaders are fighting against the legitimate leadership of the kingdom of heaven. That, that's what's going on during this time. And in Matthew 23, 13, Jesus said, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. How do they do that? Unless they have authority. Unless they have the keys. Unless they have the keys. Unless they have the key of David. Okay, We talked about that the other day. I'm going to refer to that here in a little bit. But he told him, he said, you shut up the kingdom of heaven uh, against men. And for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Hey, we got people that are wanting to get in, but you're stopping them. And so understand, this is what's going on during that time. Acts 2.22, ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So the Jews did it at the hands of the Romans. They did it by the Romans. And so a lot of people want to blame the Romans because, you know, they feel sorry for the Jews. But no, Peter called them out and said, no, you did it by wicked hands. It's like the way we are fighting wars today. We don't fight. We're we're fighting with Russia right now in America, but we're doing it by the hands of the Ukrainians and we're that by funding them and doing all these things. And, you know, uh, I mean, good night. I mean, America created Hamas, you know, to fight other battles that were going on in in Israel during a time. You know, and so uh, understand we're responsible for this stuff, you know, as a nation. That's another subject for another day. But that's what was going on. And so he says. Um, after him, or him being delivered by the terminate council, I already read that, said, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And I didn't need to read verse 24, but I did it anyway, because it's what I preached on Sunday night, what I'm going to be covering again this Sunday night. God loosed him from the pains of death. I just want to throw that in there. But remember, under the law, the things of God and the temple belong to the Jews and the Levites. But what were they doing with what God had given them. Have we ever read the parables? Now, we, don't have, we do not have time to go through these. But these parables were specifically about the things of the kingdom of heaven that God had given the Jews. And let me ask you, were they good stewards? Remember the parable of the unjust steward? We all make personal application for that, and that's fine. But that parable was about Israel being poor stewards with the kingdom of God. Remember the parents of the talent, the, one, the unjust steward that went and buried the talent? That was about Israel. That's what that was about. Were they faithful? We have, you know, the, we have the parables about faithfulness. Were they good husbandmen? Remember the parable of the husbandmen? They, they said, this is the heir. Look at it, it says in Matthew 21, 40, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. So understand, they were, they were not good husbandmen. That's what that parable is about. That was about Israel. It was about their stewardship. It was about what they had done. God had commanded them. When God gave them a land, God gave them a land, God gave them a city that He placed His name on forever. God gave them a temple. God committed the things of the temple to them. Nobody wants to talk about what they were supposed to do with those things. They were supposed to be being a light to the world. All the nations were supposed to be coming to Jerusalem, and they were to be a light to the nations, and they they were to make a way for people to become a part of the covenant. They were commanded to do all these things, yet what were they doing when Jesus came? They weren't letting anyone in, and they weren't even going in themselves. They were not 
good husbandmen. You know what? There was another parable too where they were caught sleeping. Was coming suddenly he find you sleeping? Well, I'll make personal application, but again, Israel was not ready. When, when the Messiah came the, on the day of visitation, Israel was not ready. The leadership was not doing any of the things they were supposed to do. And they were, they were, they had already, when, at the day of visitation, they had already attacked John the Baptist and killed him. And they were in the process of trying to kill Jesus. You know why? It's because the kingdom of heaven was suffering violence. It was the, at the hands of the religious leaders who were in disobedience to God and who were fighting against the heir, who were fighting against the one who was in authority, and they were fighting against his servants, and they had killed John the Baptist. They were persecuting the disciples. They were persecuting the followers of Christ. We see in the story too when Jesus healed the blind man. His parents, they didn't even want to like, they didn't want to testify. They didn't want to say anything lest they be put out of the synagogue. You know why? Because the religious leaders were attacking the people of God. They were making an assault on the kingdom of heaven during that time. So in verse 13, it says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, this is Elias which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So again, the big question, what changed from Matthew 11 to Romans 14? And the answer is very simple. The death burial and the resurrection of jesus christ that's a big change that was a really big change revelation 117 says and when i saw him i fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me fear not i am the first and the last i am he that liveth and was dead and behold i am alive forevermore amen and have the keys of hell and of death so Jesus now has the keys. At, at, when Jesus Christ died and rose again, He ascended to the Father and He sat on the right hand of the Father. And when He did that, Jesus Christ now is in control. He is the ruler of this world. He is over the things of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He is in charge. He And, and He is to have preeminence in the church it's not about the jews anymore it's about jesus these le- these leaders the two these jewish leaders they were the ones that continued persecuting the christians didn't they and attacking them so uh revelation 3 7 says and unto the angel of the church in philadelphia write these things saith he that is holy he that is true he that hath the key of david he that jesus didn't have the key of david until after his death burial and resurrection and that key of David, uh, I talked about that the other day. I'm not going to preach that again. But again, that key of David, that was something we see a prophecy in Isaiah where Eliakim, the high priest, he had the key. That key to the house of God, it shows an authority. When you have the key, you decide when the door is open. You decide when it's closed. You decide who goes in. You decide who doesn't go in. It shows your authority that you have. And Jesus Christ took that authority He took that ministry from the Levites. He took that ministry from the Jews. The kingdom was taken from him and given to another nation. And Jesus Christ is the head of that. And he has the keys of the kingdom. And the Jews don't have it anymore. And they're not getting it back. They're not, they're they're not getting it back. And so he said in Revelation 3, 7, And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. That's completely opposite of how the Jews were. They kept the door shut. They shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. And they weren't even going in themselves. And those that would, they wouldn't suffer them to. And he said, For thou hast little strength, and thou hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before my, thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. 
And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down from God out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. So understand, all of us who are saved, we are all a part of that temple and no man can get rid of us. We can't be taken out. Now, remember, under the law, under that old old system, that blind man's parents, they didn't even want to tell the truth about their son because they were going to get put out of the synagogue by them. And they feared greatly being put out of the synagogue, not being able to do the sacrifices, not being able to do the things of the temple. That was something that the people feared greatly. It was a terrible thing to have been under that system, especially when you had that wicked leadership that literally was, that was literally physically assaulting the true believers that went after the very head of it all, that literally went and killed the heir. And so, before Christ came and preached liberty to the captives, Israel did have a lot of power. But now, the only power that the synagogue of Satan has is the power to deceive. What did he say? They say they are Jews and are not. They have the power to say things, but they literally have no power and authority whatsoever. And so during the days of John and Christ, a battle was taking place and they succeeded in killing John and they even succeeded in killing Jesus. But Christ arose, triumphed over them, and now the kingdom of God is at peace. And you say, but wait a minute, wait a minute, we still, we still struggle. Okay, but wait, not, but not spiritually. What did Jesus say in John 16, 33? These things have I spoken unto you that in me, ye might have peace. In the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The things that people were trying to accomplish through the law, it was a yoke that they couldn't bear. It was a battle. They were not capable of fighting. It was one, what they were wanting to accomplish was literally being stopped by the people who were supposed to be in charge. But now, because Jesus Christ fulfilled all the things of the law, accomplished all those things, died on the cross, and has ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, literally anyone can come to Christ, and no one can stop them. The only thing that can stop somebody from coming to Christ is deception. If they're deceived. If they can be deceived into not believing. Any of us can take the gospel to anyone, and anyone can be saved just like that. And and not only will they be saved, but they will become a part of that temple that Jesus talked about in Revelation 3. The door's open. He will make them a pillar in His temple. He will give them a name that cannot not be removed, that you cannot be kicked out of that kingdom. And so in this world, yes, in fact, we have tribulation. Jesus said that. But in Christ, there is absolutely none. And so now go back to uh, Romans chapter 13 or uh, Romans chapter 14 um, and, and look at this. Okay. We're not going to go. We're not going to go through all Romans 14, but let's look at the context. But if thy brother be greed with thy meat, okay, why is he bringing this up? Because again, under the law, there was a lot of dietary restrictions, weren't there? But you know what? That's one of the things Jesus removed. Aren't we glad we don't have all the dietary restrictions and stuff? Hey, man for bacon. All right. Okay. So, understand what's, what's being talked about here. He said, Now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with meat for whom Christ died. Okay, so again, we can eat bacon, but let's not eat bacon at the expense of hurting someone's weak conscience. Okay, I think we're in safe company here. But, you know, and, and so, but at the same time, in certain cultures today, in certain places today, you could offend somebody. And so, we don't want to do that. You know, so we will... If, if I was if I was around a bunch of Jewish people or a bunch of Muslims, I would refrain from eating bacon because I don't want to offend people that I would that I would like to win to Christ. So he says, "Let not then your good be evil spoken of." So even though it's good for us to eat meat because it's sanctified by the Word of God and prayer, you know we don't want it being evil spoken of. It's 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 just not worth it. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy. In the Holy Ghost. Now, is it righteousness 
in our flesh? Uh, I No. What did Paul say about his flesh? In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Is it peace in the flesh? No. Obviously, Christians suffer physically. Oh, and, and they did during the time of John the Baptist, and they did after the time of John the Baptist. And they will until Jesus comes back. And is it always joy in the flesh? No, sometimes we, you know, we do, we struggle with these things. But in the Holy Ghost, okay, spiritually we have all these things. And we have all of them because of Jesus Christ. What the people were trying to gain access to in the kingdom of heaven and were not able to, Jesus Christ literally went, accomplished all of those things for us. He's opened the door wide. Whosoever will may come. His yoke is easy. His burden's light. We have it. We're secure. We can't be thrown out. And so when it comes to that kingdom, there's peace. I can't be removed from the kingdom. I can't be taken out of the kingdom. I can't be destroyed in that kingdom. I can't die in that kingdom. I can't in this world. But but not in, not in that kingdom. And so, there is no difference. Okay? These are, in fact, the same thing. But because people, uh, thanks to dispensationalism, they don't understand what changed from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. They understand some things changed, but they don't understand what changed. And they don't understand how it changed. They don't understand why it changed. They don't understand these things. And, and obviously, you know, when it comes to a lot of these minute details in many, in many ways, it's like, you know, why do we get bogged down with this stuff? Well, here's the thing. If we don't learn these things, false prophets are going to be able to come along and they're going to confuse you with these things. And so while none of these details are, are necessary for someone to be saved, it is important that we learn these things so we are not deceived by people who want to come along and try to uh, pull the wool over your eyes. But again, what I preached, first off, is right. Second off, it makes sense. But it does. It, it, it also addresses all the things they ignore. How do the kingdom of heaven suffer violence? How do the violent take it by force? And understand, there was, there was a battle. It was a real, physical battle. And the Jews kind of won for three days. For three days. But after three days, guess what? Christ arose and he won. And, and he has it. And therefore, that, ba- that battle is over. The kingdom is at peace. And spiritually speaking, and I'm thankful for that. So with that, let's pray to the Lord. Thank you so much for uh, this passage, the things we can learn from it. Thank you so much for what we have uh, through the Holy Ghost and through the work that you did on the cross. Help us to never forget it. Help us never get uh, over it. Help us to continue telling people about it and reminding people that the door is wide open and whosoever may come, Lord. And it's sad to think about how many people out there are literally in in a yoke of bondage that is a burden that you never intended us to carry. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to uh, preach liberty to those captives so we can see them saved. In your name we pray. Amen.